Genesis 1, verse 26. It says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Notice God only made two genders. Genesis chapter 2, let's look at verse 17. Uh, Genesis 2 verse 17 says, But of the tree of the knowledge of, the good, of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you shall eat of it you shall surely die. Then we want to look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 is a little bit more of a lengthy passage, and here's where we're going to kind of plow home tonight. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as one man's sin, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For unto the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, uh, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died then much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And it says, and, um, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, um, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life." For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Father, thank you for your word tonight. pray you speak to our hearts and give us insight. Help us to see this freshly. Help us to understand the glorious truths of your word. In Christ's name, amen. Tonight, we're going to pick right back up in our we Believe series, we've been tackling doctrine over uh, the last couple of weeks, and we're going to continue to do so until we plow through the end of this. And we've got some good stuff coming over the next uh, month or so. We've got divine healing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, the rapture of the church, heaven, hell, um, all different types of stuff, water baptism. And so uh, there's going to be quite a bit of a change of scenery as we kind of go through these 16, what we call the 16 fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God. But let me tell you something. I want to be adamantly clear tonight. I don't believe these truths because the Assemblies of God put them in a statement. I believe these truths because the Bible holds them to be true. And so you got to understand that organization always has to follow God and not vice versa. So, 
I love the fact that our forefathers in the very onset of our movement said we want to be missions-minded people. We want to take the gospel around the world. And we want to have a, a, a doctrinal statement that we all can rally around. And so we've looked at the Scripture inspired. We've looked at the deity of Christ. We've looked at several things. But tonight, we're going to actually jump right on on Statement of Fundamental Truths number four. And that is the fall of man. So I want to read this to you. It's there in your notes. Fundamental truth number four reads like this. Man was created good and upright. For God said, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. However, man by voluntary transgression fell, thereby incurred not only physical death, but also spiritual death, which is separation from God. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the doctrine of the fall of man, and you've got to understand as we lay the framework for this why it's important. Um, it's, it's when we fully understand this truth tonight that we realize and can grasp the whole reason why Jesus had to come in the first place. Because everybody likes to talk about being saved, but uh, there's not a lot of people that can explain why they really need to be saved. And so we're going to look at that all the way from Genesis, and we're going to bring it into the New Testament. But it's important for us to do so. You know, it wasn't but maybe six months or so ago, I was, uh, I was flipping through some, uh, some television programs and uh, on my on my tablet because I don't have like TV on my TV at the house. We stream everything. So I was looking through something and came across a, a minister. Uh, I won't say a name. It's not important. I'm not, not trying to do that. But this person said in their message, they said, you know, I just believe that all men are inherently good. Well, folks, I want you to know something. That is not what the Bible teaches the Bible teaches that man is not, in and of himself, left alone, inherently good. In fact, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not even one. Uh, he says that our righteousness on our very best day, when we've taken out somebody's trash, when we've mowed somebody's yard, when we've bought somebody's groceries, apart from the righteousness of Christ, that righteousness is like a filthy rag in the presence of God. And so we need to understand why did Jesus really need to come? And so we need to understand that, that the fact is, is that God knows that man's heart is exceedingly wicked. In fact, it's, it's funny to me, sometimes people will say, uh, you know, when somebody asks to you know, hey, would you pray for me? I'm about to make a decision in life. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I should marry this person or should I divorce this person or should I go to this college or, or should I move my family across to this state? And they say, well, you know, just pray for me. And then somebody will say, well, just follow your heart. Well, that sounds great for a Hallmark card. But the prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitfully wicked. And who can know it? You know, we can't really follow our heart. Um, we have to follow our spirit when we become born again. But our heart, our carnal man, is inherently wicked. And your heart will be having you do one thing one day and something else another day. You cannot rely upon the inclinations of one's unregenerate heart. We have to 
be regenerated by the presence of God through the blood of Christ. So tonight, I want to look at this doctrine about the fall of man. Because if you ever want to understand something, you go back to the original, right? You go back to the prototype. You go back to the one that everything else was designed after. And so, in the book of Genesis, God is creating the heavens and the earth. Yeah, I don't want to go through all of that. I, people have different schools of belief. I believe in a, a literal seven-day uh, creation. Um, you know, uh, there are other uh, aspects of that account for, well, people say, what about the fossils that have been found? I, I, I believe scripturally I can explain all of that, but I believe in a seven-day literal creation. And on the sixth day, God created man. On the seventh day, God rested from his labors. And so uh, on that sixth day, God created something that was unlike anything else he had ever made. He created man. Uh, you know, there were already all of these other things, but God desired fellowship. So when you look back at God's original intent of creating man, God wanted somebody that he could fellowship with. And so, because God is a spirit, that's what John teaches us, God is a spirit, and those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. God, the Bible says, and God created man in his image, in his likeness, and then he gets down into the dust of the earth, and the Bible says, and then God formed man. So God made man a body from the very earth that you and I, uh, you know, were created from. Do you know something is interesting? I'm going to give you an experiment. Perhaps you have done this before. You know, sometimes people get so high and mighty in life, they think that they're, you know, they're just all that in a bag of chips. You know, maybe God has blessed them, and you know, they live in a big house, and they got a big car, and they kind of forget where they come from. Amen. Especially people who didn't grow up on the right side of the tracks and, and they didn't grow up, you know, uh, with the silver spoon in their mouth. And then they get a little something, something, and they forget where they come from. But let me, let me give you a little experiment here. Uh, all you have to do is go in the shower on a hot summer day and spend a good amount of time with a loofah and some soap and scrub yourself real good. And then all you've got to do once you get on, get on your clothes, go outside and sweat for a moment and take a rag and wipe the back of your neck. You know what you're going to find? Some dirt. You know why? Because no matter what you have in this life, you came from dirt. I got some better news for you. Unless Jesus comes before you die, you're going back through the dirt. So all of us have been created this same way. So then God, after he formed the body of man, the Bible says he breathed, ruach, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. One translation, I believe it's the Amplified Bible, says, and man became a speaking spirit. Literally, he was animated and could speak. He, had a, 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 he was a spirit, he had a body, he had a soul. Then what God did was he said, well, Adam, it's not good that you be alone. So he, just like God, with his supernatural anesthesia, put Adam to sleep, and then out of his side took one of his ribs and created him a helpmate. 
He didn't take Eve from a bone from the bottom of, it, of, of Adam's foot because man's job was never to lord over his wife in a domineering kind of way, but rather he took the rib from the side of her, and, and so he was to be her protector, and, her, and she was to be his helpmate. And yes, in God's divine order of things, God says that the husband is the head of the wife, but that is in the fact that God made man and woman physically different. Spiritually, though, uh, according to the book of Ephesians, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor free in Christ. So it's not a domineering thing. But listen, in the middle of the night, if I hear a noise, I'm not sending my wife out to go see what it is. Amen? God, my role, God has called me to be the protector of my castle. Amen? And men... He's called you to do the same. Ladies, if you don't have a husband, you know, you got to fill that role. But God created man to be that, and he created the woman to be the help to the man. I could preach a lot right there, but I absolutely won't. We'll save that for the EXO conference. However, here comes Eve. God wakes him up. He doesn't know what to call her. So he says... Whoa, man. And it just kind of stuck. God said, we call her woman. Okay, no, it really didn't happen that way, but that's how I kind of imagine it. Just telling you, I don't know why another guy would want a guy when God made a woman. Hello, somebody. All right. I don't, I don't mean to go there. I get on my soapbox, and I don't understand. But uh, praise the Lord. So what happened was, was that God created man and he gave them some parameters. He, he sat them in a garden and he told them, he said, you can eat of all of these trees that I've planted, but there's one that you cannot eat from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it was sat there in the middle of the garden and somehow Adam was tiptoeing through the tulips. I don't know if he was admiring the flowers or whatever, but sometime in the distant past, it's not recorded in the book of Genesis, it's recorded other places in the scripture, but uh, sometime in the distant past, uh, God's arch enemy, uh, Lucifer, uh, fell from heaven. He's in the garden in a fallen state, uh, in the form of a serpent, and all of a sudden, he is talking to Eve, and he's twisting God's word, because Eve's like, I'm not supposed to eat this, and he says, but God didn't say this, he didn't mean it like that, and while Adam was not in his place, Eve was then beguiled by the serpent, and she ate of it, and then she gave it to her husband. Now, let me ask you a question. It's not a trick question. Who ate the fruit first? Huh? Well, no, it actually says she ate the fruit first. Eve ate it and then she gave it to her husband. But Romans says sin came through Adam. We're not going to go there tonight. Go home and study. But here's what I want you to understand. That when that happened, it changed the entire construct of humanity at that point. God's original plan, intent, and design was that man were to live eternally in a natural body without sin, untouched by any curse, living in perfect union and fellowship with God. That was his plan. In fact... 
if you go to the end of the book of Revelation, it ends the way God started it. Man eternally, living in the presence of God, unbroken and without sin. And yes, there will be some natural people there with a normal body. If you were in my book of Revelation teaching that I did a couple years ago when we went from chapter to chapter all the way through the end, you, you understand that. But, but you got to realize God's plan was for man to live eternally. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. Adam and Eve free-willingly transgressed. And that transgression brought some consequences. This consequence is known as the fall of man. So I want to take uh, into account tonight a couple of things. And if you're taking notes, you write this down. The very first thing, very simple. Number one, here's what we know. Man was created in the image of God. What that means is that they were perfect. Until Adam and Eve had ate the fruit, they had no sin in their life. They were naked, the Bible says, and unashamed. Naked and unashamed. Notice... If you read the book of Genesis in the first couple of chapters, when the Adam and Eve eat the fruit, the Bible says their eyes were opened and they hid themselves from the presence of God. What did they do? They went and they found some fig leaves and they covered themselves. They found the fig leaves and they covered themselves. God comes strolling through the garden like he had done day before and day after and went to meet with Adam. And, and God says, Adam, where are you? And he says, I've hid myself because I'm naked. And he said, who told you you were naked? You see, man was created in the image of God and he was perfect. Which you've got to understand, the Bible says that Adam and Eve were naked and they were unashamed. Everybody say unashamed. Check me out on this. Those of you who like to run references in your like Strong's concordance or whatever, check me out on this. When the first time it says that they were naked, it, it literally means that the Hebrew word there, and it's hard for me to pronounce, but the Hebrew word there, it means nude but partially clothed. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Then when Adam eat, when they eat the fruit and their eyes are opened, the word naked there is a different word for naked than the first word. That second word in the Hebrew, it means totally nude. So the first one is they're partially clothed. The second one means they're totally nude. What's the difference? I'm glad you asked. The Bible says that God clothes himself with light. The glory of God. The glory of God surrounds the Father. Man was created in the image of God. Adam and Eve, in the perfect state, they did not have on clothes, but they were clothed in the glory of God. We'll say, oh, Pastor, I don't know if I believe that. Well, just go to Psalm 9. Who is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you visit him. You crown him with loving kindness and tender mercy. The Bible tells us right there that God clothed man with glory, crowned him with glory. But when they sinned, they lost that glory. And then now they're eternally separated from God. They didn't fall over and die at that exact moment, but the death clock for the first time ever in human history began to tick. 
And not only did they die, start the process of dying physically, but they also, the Bible says, they died spiritually. That's the whole reason while animal sacrifices were instituted because God said, okay, this fig leaf stuff is not enough. And so God went himself and obviously killed an animal and brought back a skin of a lamb and clothed Adam and Eve in the garden, instituting the very first law of sacrifice. So point number one, man was created in the image of God, eternal life in a natural body, perfect, unbroken fellowship with God. Here's point number two. Man willfully transgressed God's command. As I said, this is not a, a statement against women at all, but, but Adam was held responsible because he was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. You know, if a, if a, if a police officer is, or a soldier is stationed outside of a, a post and he falls asleep, and the enemy comes in and does something when he's supposed to be watching guard, is his fault. And so Adam was not covering Eve. He, was, he left her exposed to the plan of the enemy. And all of a sudden, this willful transgression, because she was seduced by it. She was seduced by it. Isn't it interesting? You know, the Christian life is a fun life. I've, I don't understand seeing sad Christians. I mean, you may not be just belly laughing all the time, but i got to be honest with you, the Christian life is fun. Uh, life with Jesus is fun. And, you know, there, there are times for us to be somber and, and whatever, but the Bible says in His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand, pleasures forevermore. I mean, it's a, it's a great time for us to just kind of rejoice. And, and the Christian life is a fun life, but it's, it's like human nature. When we tell our children, all right, you can eat all of this stuff in the refrigerator, but this right here, that's for, that's for Thanksgiving. You don't need to eat that. You just leave that alone. Then you go in the refrigerator a day or so later, and you see that the cookies have been opened. The sodas are missing a few from the case. It's like we want what we can't have, yet we have all of this abundance. God said, all of these trees, you can eat it. I can tell you it was enough for them because the Bible said he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. They didn't need that to be in God's plan, but yet the adversary tempted them for the one thing that they couldn't have. And they took it. Their eyes were opened. And because of temptation, curiosity got the best of them. Can I just stop and insert a caveat right there? A lot of times, I hear people when they get involved in an issue. And, you know, um, you, know you, you ask them, you know, I've heard, I've heard them interview preachers who've fallen into moral failure and People who've fallen into affairs and they say, well, I don't know, I just kind of fell into it. No, you didn't. You lie. You don't walk down the street, trip on a rock, and fall into somebody's bed. Come on. You're not walking in the grocery store, trip over your shoelace in Walmart, and cheat on your taxes by $50,000. You don't do that. 
You know what causes sin? Temptation, curiosity, boredom. And all of a sudden, that curiosity got the best of them. And they ate of that fruit, knowingly disobeyed. This was a willful sin. Everybody say willful. Uh, these are fancy words, but there are two types of, of, of kinds of sin in the Bible. You have sins of, of commission. That's like you know you're doing wrong, and you do it anyway. You are committing. You're commissioned, commis- committing a sin. Then there are sins of omission. Those are sins that you just you do, and you don't realize it was a sin, maybe until you, after you did it. And then you're like, oh, you know. So the difference is the motivation of the heart. Both are sin, but the issue is the motivation of the heart. So Adam and Eve committed a sin of commission, purposely. Point number three, man's sin brought a curse upon all humanity. So, get this. This is something that we need to grasp, okay? So, Adam, God created him, gave him the garden to tend, okay? Then gave him a wife. I say this every time I read this passage because it deserves to be said for those of you ladies who are looking for you a husband. God gave Adam a job first. Amen. If he can't take care of himself, he can't take care of you. Amen. But you've got to get that. And then God gave Adam the commission to tend the garden, to work it before the curse. See, sometimes we think work is a result of the curse. It's not. And I've got some bad news for some of you. If you think you're going to be sitting in heaven floating on a cloud playing a harp for all eternity, that ain't happening. God's got some stuff for you to do up there too. Work was before the curse. The curse, what happened when the curse came in, is it brought a a level of difficulty with it. So in other words, the Bible says one of the things of the curse that happened because Adam and Eve transgressed was labor pains. Before the curse, if Eve, if she would have gotten pregnant, I don't know what that exactly would have looked like, but I know this, she wouldn't have been hurting in childbirth. How many of you ladies say, thank you, Eve? Hallelujah. Hallelujah, we have. That's why Jesus came. Then he said the ground would be hard. And it plants that were beautiful. I want you to understand, before the fall of man, you know, there, there was a, I was a child of the 80s. I, I, I grew up listening to my brothers singing 80s rock music. And some of it's not godly. I understand that. But there's one song. But there's one song, okay? There's one song that stuck in my head all growing up by, by a band called Poison. And they had a song called, Every Rose Has Its Thorn. But do you know something? Before the fall of man, the rose bushes had no thorns. There were no cocoa burr stickers in the yards before the fall. Now, how many of you have ever went outside barefoot and got a foot full of those things? Or you have to pick them off of your shoelace. 
Okay, all of that stuff was a product of, of Adam and Eve's transgression. The ground became hard. Adam really had to push the shovel in there hard to get anything to work. It was just a, a, a difficult thing. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter number 28 talks about the blessing of the law and the curse of the law. And it says uh, that it, what happened because of the curse of man, it talks about inflammation, it talks about uh, premature birth, it, it, it talks about pains and boils and disease and, and all these horrible things. And he says, if man disobeys God's law, this is what's going to happen. He says, but if you obey God's law, he said, then you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed coming in, blessed going out, blessed will be your basket, blessed will be your store, blessed will be your animals and your kind, the fruit of your, your, your womb, all of that stuff. The Bible draws us to the attention that man's transgression brought a curse and that curse ultimately, don't miss this, that curse ultimately brought separation from God. So let's circle the wagon back around as our former White House correspondence person would say. Let's circle the wagon back around. And look at the question from the very first. Why did Jesus have to come and die? Because after Adam, every man was born into sin. Adam's transgression changed the DNA of every human from that point forward. Inherently sinful. You know this. Children come out of the womb selfish. They cry. They take. They snatch. When they start talking, some of their first words, other mama and, and other than mama and dada, are mine. But in order for fallen man to be redeemed, something worthy had to redeem him. And that, my friends, was Jesus. The lamb, most rabbis, doesn't say explicitly it was a lambskin, but most rabbis believe that because it's a direct type of Christ. But that skin that God took replaced the fig leaves You know, I wasn't going to go here tonight, but this is interesting. You know, in the, in the Bible, who can tell me what the fig tree represents? Israel? The Jews? Some would go a little further and say the law to an extent. Maybe not. Maybe that might be a stretch. But whatever it represents, Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with that. And God said... That's not enough. Something is going to have to die so that you can live. And every one of those lambs that was sacrificed throughout history, every Passover, represented the one true spotless lamb that would come. I love the book of Hebrews. Here's what it says. Christ once and for all 
was sacrificed for sin. You know what that means? In the old, I'm getting ready to close. In the Old Testament, whenever Israel would sin, there were several different prescribed methods that they would go by depending on what it was that they did. But the biggest one would be the lamb. It had to be spotless. It had to be pure. The blood had to be applied and, and, and all of that stuff. And so put on, the, on the, all of that stuff. I mean, it was messy. There's one verse in the Old Testament that talks about Moses slinging the blood over the altar, slinging the blood over the book of the law. I mean, slinging the blood on the garments. It was, it was, it was a bloody, bloody bloody sacrifice but you know what we also know Jesus sacrifice was bloody it was messy but the difference according to our passage tonight in Romans chapter 5 the difference between Jesus and the lamb that was offered was that Jesus sacrifice took care of it forever forever so what does that mean? That means if man wants to be redeemed from sickness, spiritual death, eternal separation from God, everything that the curse brought with it is found in redemption. That's what Jesus, the Bible says, uh, cursed is he who hung on a tree. He who knew no sin knew, became sin for us. It was imputed. The word impute means to, to take one's place. It's, it's like transferring money from a bank account. It's like if I had 10000 and I transferred it by wire to your account. Now you have 10000 And you, he said amen. And then, uh, and then you have 25000 and you wire transfer it to my account. Now I have 25000 What happens is you have what I had and now I have what you had. That's what happened on the cross. Imputed righteousness. Jesus stood there innocent in our place because man was fallen. And we couldn't save ourselves, but he thought we were worth saving. And so he did the unthinkable. He sent his son from heaven. Sinless, spotless, lamb he didn't have the bloodline of the sin of of adam because the holy spirit simply just used the womb of mary and now you and i can be right with god by simply accepting the sacrifice isn't that great here's the great thing whenever a person gives their life to christ jesus does not come off his throne and get back on the cross no offense to any of my Catholic brothers and sisters, but I, we used to live in Louisiana, and it, uh, we don't have counties down there. They have parishes. It is a, 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 a Catholic just stronghold in the nation. And so there was a hospital that we used to go to all the time, and it was a Catholic-owned hospital. Every chapel you went into, every hospital room you went into, you went in the cafeteria. It didn't matter where you went. There was a, a cross with Jesus still hanging on it. And they believe 
when they take the Eucharist, which they call commun- which we call communion, the bread and the wine, they believe when they make the sign of the cross that they are re-upping or reinstituting, or Christ is is becoming the bread and the wine. They they believe that it is a a a current thing. But what we have to realize is, my friend. Is that Jesus, when a person gets saved, he does not come back down off of the cross to be re-crucified. What he did the very first and last time that he was crucified was sufficient for anybody who would ever come after him until the end of the age. The cross of Christ is sufficient for the salvation of everybody who will believe on His name. And we needed it because of Adam. You can close your Bible tonight, but people always ask, when you go to heaven, who do you want to talk to? Who's the first person you want to see? You hear people say different things. I'd like to sit down with Moses and talk about the Ten Commandments and the smoke that came on Mount Sinai and the lightning and the fire, and I want to talk about all that. Some people say, well, I want to ask Noah what he was thinking when he was building that boat. Some people say, man, I want to to talk to Abraham because Sarah sure must have been pretty for you to say she was your sister. Come on, somebody. I want to talk to Adam. And be like, man, we would not have to have gone through all this. But you know, the truth of the matter is, I've said this time and time again, I'm sincerely closed this time. I always joke around about that, but the truth is, is that Jesus wasn't God's plan B. In the foreknowledge of God, he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Before Zacchaeus ever needed a tree to climb in, God had already planted the seed for that tree. Everything you ever need, God's already provided it in advance. You know why? Because God's already been into the future. He sees the end from the beginning. That's what the Scripture says. That's why he's able to call those things, and he tells us to call those things that be not as though they were, because God sees into something that we cannot yet see. But before man ever messed up, In the dateless past, he provided a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Aren't you glad Jesus came to earth and died to save our sin, forgive us, and make us right with him? So guess what? All the sin that you've ever committed, man, when you got saved, I mean, that's better than a judge expunging your record. Jesus just wiped it away. Don't even ex- There's not even a record of it that exists anymore in the courts of heaven. That's what the Scripture says. He doesn't even see it. That's what redemption does. Man, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to serve Jesus. So awesome. Amen. Such a free gift. You can stand up on your...